Good morning, Foothill Church. Uh, today's scripture is found in Exodus 12, 43 through 13, 16. Please stand for the word of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There should be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and on the very day the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, no leavened bread shall be eaten, or shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep the statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord has brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, Foothill. Welcome to you inside. Those of you outside online, we're just grateful that you uh, joined us today. It's good to be back together inside. Um, how many of you remember, I think it was in the mid-80s, there was this really popular book that went around and they've turned it into posters and all th things. And, and the title of the book was, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Remember this? And so it's things like, um, you know, put your stuff away and take naps and, you know, a cup of hot chocolate or something like that. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Uh, flush, that's a good one. Uh, wash your hands before you eat. All these kind of life lessons we're supposed to uh, learn just from being in, uh, in kindergarten. Well, today's message, we might say this way. We could call it, uh, all you really need to know about the Lord's Supper, we learn in Passover. 
Passover is going to, has been teaching us a lot, right? We watched, we got to chapter 11 and we got the warning about the Passover and this night that the destroyer would come. And now for several sermons now, we've been doing this deep dive because the narrative pace has slowed and forced us to kind of get down inside of the Passover and go, what's this all about? And what I want you to see is what we've discovered is there's this sort of confluence of these three rituals that go around the Passover. First, we had, of course, the Passover meal. There's the lamb, the slain lamb, the blood above the doorpost. And we had this feast of unleavened bread, and we got both of those again today. But what's added today when we get to chapter 13 is what's known as the consecration of the firstborn. Now, why do all three of these things sort of converge and come together in really what amounts to one celebration that's supposed to be observed every year? Well, there's a practical reason, and that is that um, they are springtime celebrations, springtime feasts that would go together. And, uh, and, and, and the reason for that is, of course, Passover is a springtime and uh, unleavened bread is a springtime thing. But it's also because the, the firstborn, if you, you know, women can have babies at any time, but if you're looking at the livestock, because it's, it's consecrating not just the, 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 the humans, but the, the beasts among them, they normally give birth in the spring. So these three things come together, right? But there's another reason, and we see that in, in chapter 13. I really want to encourage you to open your Bibles with me or your Bible app, because we're going to be kind of jumping around to, to make sense of this passage. A lot of this is review, but there's some new stuff here that I, that I want you to see, okay? So look at chapter 13 uh, that, that uh, Lauren just read in verse 14. And when a time to come, your son asks, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a, a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the first in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of the man, the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons uh, I redeem. Okay, so what's happening here, we're going to look at this in a little more detail, is that God says, I passed over all of you. And because of that, I own you. Because of that, you've been consecrated to me. And, and, and what I'm going to require is that there is this consecration. So those spared need to be set apart. So if I were to review, I'd say, look, here's what we've learned so far as we've walked through the Passover. We've learned, uh, we talked about the problem of Passover. That's that they're all sinners and they need to have a provision for rescue. So we looked at that provision. It's the lamb. We, we looked at the purpose. It's not just we're saved and then we can go out on our own. No, we're saved in order to be sanctified, in order to be holy. And this is what's happening here. Here's another example of the firstborn are consecrated for the purpose. This is this consecration just means to be set apart, to be made holy. That's what's happening because of what happened in God passing over you. So we've said from the beginning that Exodus is giving us all of these pictures about salvation. And so we might say it this way, that if you've been saved from the wrath of God through faith in the blood of the Lamb, then you must be set apart, consecrated, and holy. That's what's going on here, okay? Uh, so Paul's going to say, or Peter's going to say, be holy as I'm holy. Paul's going to say in Romans 12, after he unpacks the gospel, I beseech you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Like we're called to be holy. Now, these rituals though, Passover, unleavened bread, and, uh, and, and the consecration of the firstborn, uh, again, 
point us to help us better understand what's going on in the Lord's Supper. Because remember, and we'll talk about this in a moment, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he broke bread with his disciples, what was going on? That was the Passover. That was the Passover celebration that they were walking through, okay? So he's teaching them, and he's going to recast it as you're going to see. And so when we celebrate the Passover, yes, we're looking back to Jesus on the night of his betrayal and his death, but we're also going all the way back to this night, to these nights of the Passover celebration, okay? So what do we learn about the Lord's Supper from the Passover? Okay, let's, let's look at it. We, I might say it this way. We've looked at the what, the why, the when. Today, really, we look at the who. The who, the people of, of the Passover. Okay, so we're going to lear, learn five things. The first thing I want you to see, that the Passover and the Lord's Supper are community meals. It's a community meal, all right? So, so look at this with me. Uh, look down at chapter 12, verse 47. And, and Moses tells them that this is for all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. Okay, this is for all the congregation. Now, this isn't new. You've heard this before. Just flip back a page or if you're in your app, just scroll up to chapter 12, verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Okay, now skip down to verse 6. And you shall keep that lamb until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So everybody's doing this. So just imagine this. This is, remember, there are families have come together and these are multiple generations under one household. Or if you were a smaller family, you would join with another family. But all at once, at the same time of the evening, you would have this massive uh, nationwide, we might say, barbecue at the same time. I mean, can you imagine this? Your entire neighborhood, the entire city of Glendora and San Dimas, and there's like two million people, all of a sudden, pork ribs, right? And there's smoke going up in the air, and the whole atmosphere smells like barbecue. This is this great act of unity, right? There is this united thing they're all doing together. And what are they fundamentally united around? Do they, all, do they all think the same? Do they all act the same? They are fundamentally united around that they are being saved. Or to look back on the Exodus, we were saved. We were rescued. And we're commemorating that through a meal. We have this shared salvation that brings unity to the community. And this is what we're celebrating. It's faith in God's provision of the lamb, this shared meal of rescue. This is exactly what's happening when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, by the way, let me just say something. Uh, unlike what we do with Lord's Supper, this is a meal. There's a whole lamb, right? There's a barbecue going up. And it's interesting to me that, that like one of the most significant ways that the Bible's gonna even talk about this, that many cultures develop community is around a meal, right? If you want to be close to your children, and I mean this sincerely, eat around a dinner table with them. 
If you want to be close to other families, get together and break bread with them. If you want to get close with another friend, have a meal with them. Isn't it amazing? There's something sacred. There's something spiritual. There's something community building about the very fact of breaking bread together. In fact, some of the major events in Scripture take place around meals. There's going to be feasts all through the Old Testament to commemorate these great acts of God. But we also know we're looking forward to the, what, what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we come together and we feast together. When there's a new heavens and a new earth, listen, if your idea of I'm not all, I'm not all that interested in heaven because that's all clouds and harps and white robes, and I, that doesn't sound like any fun to me, I would say amen. That doesn't sound like any fun to me either. But the Bible says what we're going to inherit is a new heaven and a new earth. And there is feasting. Apparently, God really likes food and really likes feasting. So if you're a Christian and you love food, you're going to love heaven. Because it's going to be amazing, right? There's going to be things we've never tasted before. I never knew that was even a flavor. I mean, just imagine this. And it's all being united around a meal. I mean, think about how important meals are, like I just mentioned, but also in other cultures. Like the way you, you know, show that you're at peace with another tribe is, is meals. There's this shared thing that you do today. Now, the thing I want you to see, though, is that it's, it's eating around this idea that we've all, what brings us together is we've all been saved. This is what brings the community. And this is really important that we remember as Western Christians. Most of us in this room are, are Western in our kind of DNA, our philosophy, the air we breathe, the water we swim in. And that means that we are hyper-individualistic. And so we say things like this, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you spent alone time with God? Right? What, show me what Jesus has done for you personally. Now, look, I get it. I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I don't want to forget that when the New Testament talks about salvation, almost never does it talk about it in individual terms. Almost never. Let me give you an example. Paul, this is Paul writing to Titus in Titus chapter three. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now that's one sample. And it happens over and over and over again. That what we share, what, what gives us commonality is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, I have never known a time in my ministry when we have to remember this more than right now. There are literally churches splitting apart over things that have nothing to do with the gospel. They, they have nothing to do with the word of God. It's over mass or no mass, vaccine or no vaccine. It's over politics and how you vote or don't vote. Church, that's sinful. That's not just wrong thinking. Like what in the world made us think that when we come together, everybody in the room will think the same way, act the same way? Vote the same way. 
view everything the same way. Do, do me a favor. Actually move your head and look at people around this room. There are people of different ethnicities and colors, different backgrounds, different educations. Not all of you live in the same neighborhood. You certainly, I guarantee, don't vote the same way. You don't look at the world the same way. You ha some of you are wealthy. Some of you are poor. Some of you are somewhere in between, right? We, we, have, we, we don't all have the same educational background. Like, I, I dare say this. If it weren't for Jesus and it weren't for the church, most of us would not be friends. We just wouldn't be. And we have got to keep this in mind. The Lord's table is this commonality. What brings us together? It isn't our politics and it's not our mask or no mask philosophy or whether you've been vaccinated or not, right? What brings us together is we've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. That's the truth. And men, we better hold on to that for dear life when there are so many things in this world that want to rip us apart. Silly, stupid, sinful things. That what unites us is the blood of Jesus. It's a community meal. That's the first thing. Second thing I want you to see is it's an exclusive meal. Look at verse 43, chapter 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statue of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. Verse 45, no foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. Now what's happening here? Is this sort of xenophobia? We don't like foreigners. It's a racist thing. Not at all. Um, it has nothing to do with their race. This is, this is God saying, this is only for my people. God discriminates. Do you know that? We've seen this all through the book of, of Exodus. God discriminated between Egypt and Israel when he sent the plagues. And here he is doing it again, right? Now, this is, this is part of this is happening because remember, I think we looked at it last week when it said that when they came out, they, there was a mixed multitude. That is, they weren't just uh, Hebrew. They weren't just the children of Israel. There was other ethnicities mixed in. So they're asking the, the logical question, who can keep the feast? Remember I said this about who? And the answer is only the people of God. No foreigners, no day workers, not people that are sort of hanging out on the edges. Why? Because they're not covenant, they're not a, cov a, a covenanted part of the community. They're not believers. Phil Riken is a, a pastor who, who wrote this. He says, this was not a matter of race, but of grace. These outsiders has not yet put their faith in the God of Israel and thus they had no right to receive the atonement that he provided through the Passover lamb. It was not appropriate for them to receive the sign of salvation, that's the Passover, because they were not trusting in the blood of the lamb. Okay, and you're gonna see it goes further than this, but, but listen. Now, he's saying, okay, so there's, there's a group that must not participate in this meal. But now look down at verse 48 of chapter 12 because it says this, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. 
Okay, now let's just talk about this just for a second. The sojourner, a stranger who sojourns, we might call in our current nomenclature a resident alien. That is somebody who they were not part of us from the beginning, but they sort of supplanted themselves and says, okay, I'm here now. I'm going to remain here. You are going to be my people. This is my home. Your God is my God. And he says, if they do that and they are circumcised, then that person can partake, okay? Outside of that, they can't. So hear me, God doesn't just shut the door to outsiders, but he has said, this meal is exclusive. This is not a common meal that we share with everybody. It's a special meal. Now, this is why, by the way, that one of the reasons when we come to the Lord's Supper, as we'll do at the end, some of you know it as communion or the Eucharist, which just means Thanksgiving, one of the things we will generally say is this, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not repented of your sin and confessed Jesus as Lord, then we would ask you not to participate. Why? Because if that's not you, then you're not part of the covenant community and there should be exclusion, the Bible says. It's an exclusive meal. If you have not put your faith in the substitute, Jesus Christ, for your sin, then you're not part of the covenant community. You are outside of the faith and should not partake of the Lord's Supper. It's an exclusive meal. But here's the good news. There's an open invitation. Okay, so look at this. Look at verse 44. But every slave... Uh, that is circumcised or, or is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. And then down at verse 40, 48, again, that, that sojourner may come near after his males have been circumcised and they, show, they should be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it, right? And then he goes on to say there'll be one law, right? They, they all do this and they're all included or excluded, right? It's, 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 it, there, there is this open invitation. So while the meal is exclusive, it's not closed. It's not like, hey, first hundred people to come to the table, you get to be here, nobody else can come. No, it, it can get bigger and bigger and bigger. There's always room at the table. You can join. Now, what's the, what's the price of admission in the Old Testament? Uh, I'm going to dwell with you and I'll be circumcised. That's a high bar, right? Like that's, that's like, wow, that's, uh, that's a commitment, Okay? Um, now, we're in the New Testament. doesn't have to happen, but there's a principle that remains. This is not a low commitment thing. This is not just come to church on Sunday and check a box. All right, this is like, I'm in. This is my community. This is why we emphasize thing, things like church membership and baptism and being covenanted with a community. There's no such thing in Scripture as people that are just sort of, you know, around the margins who are then treated like they're in the center. Oh, there's always people on the margin. There's always people that are like, I don't really believe what you believe, but I'm hanging on on the outside. Hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. But there are certain things you will have to be excluded from because of what the Bible teaches us. And the Lord's Supper is one of them. It's for people who say, man, I'm in. It's for people, and I would say this, it's for, it's for Christians who have made a commitment to follow Jesus, who have confessed their sin and have been baptized. All right, that's really one of the things that, that we'd say is the, is the New Testament sign, the outward. Circumcision was an outward sign of an inward covenant. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward covenant. So if you're somebody that says, hey, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I will not get baptized. Look, I don't know how else to say this. 
you're sinning. It's not an issue of whether you're going to go to heaven or not. It's whether, whether you're going to just simply be obedient to Jesus in what he does himself and says we are to do and this is the sign of our covenant with him and this is the sign of our commitment. By the way, a little lower bar than circumcision. Just get dunked in water and show and profess and proclaim that you belong to Jesus. And so if you do this, he says, man, then you can come to the Lord's table. You don't have to be an outsider looking in. This is not, listen, the Lord's table is not an American thing. It's not a Foothill Church thing. It's not a white thing or a black thing. It's not a vaccinated or not vaccinated thing. It's not a mask or non-mask thing. It is for people who say, I'm a sinner that's been rescued by the blood of Jesus. It's that thing. And the only requirement is I've repented of my sin. I've put my faith in Jesus. There's an open invitation, okay? The fourth thing is that there's a reminder. It's a reminder of redemption. Now, I'm not going to take time to read it again, but I just want you to notice. Look down at verses 11 through 16. Just cast your eye along that and notice where you see all this redemption language. The firstborn will be redeemed or, or redeemed, redeemed. Okay, this whole section is about the redemption of the firstborn male or the firstborn of certain flocks. Now, let's talk about this. This is where, I was talking to Lucas Parks uh, between services, and it's like this is where you get this, every now and again, the Old Testament gives you this straight line to Jesus, this straight line to the New Testament in ways that maybe you've not seen before, and you got to see this, okay? So, it's all about redemption, and redemption simply means to buy back, right? And, and since the destroyer struck down the firstborn, says now all the firstborn belong to God, and some are redeemed, some are sacrificed. Now, look at this. First of all, why just the firstborn? The firstborn, as you're going to see, both Old and New Testament, is the, is the one who stood in by proxy for the whole family. This happens all the time in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You're going to see that one man stands in for a whole tribe, for a whole nation, right? Abraham, Moses sort of stood before God as one representative. The priest stood before one man as a representative. Or you had heads of tribes or heads of households. So the firstborn in a family stood in by proxy with the, with, with, for, for the family. They, they, were, they, were the, they were the stand and said, I represent the present and future of this family. So... Um, that meant that by, uh, by sacrificing for that firstborn son, then what you were doing is saying, man, this family belongs to God. Now, watch this. Notice there is a differentiation between how you handle the firstborn of a clean animal. What's a clean animal? Things you eat, a lamb, a goat, a bull. And what did you do? You took the firstborn of that clean animal and sacrificed him. What if it was an unclean animal? Like, let's say, a donkey. You have a choice. You either kill it or redeem it with a clean animal. Now, I hope some of your minds are, are drawing the connections right now. Because what's happening here? Okay, what do I do? Um, 
If the basic idea is the firstborn belongs to God, if they're clean, they're sacrificed. If they're uncleaned, they're redeemed. Then apparently we as human beings find ourselves in the unclean category. Because did you notice in verse 11 through 16, it tells us that if it's a child, it needs to be redeemed through a certain purchase price. Now, what's that telling us? We're not clean. We're like donkeys. And we need a substitute. We need a clean animal to come in and take our place or we just die. There's the choices. Break its neck and it dies or it gets to live because there's been a substitute offered on its behalf. Do you see this, what I mean? Do you see the straight line to Jesus? How this, is, how this is pointing us. By the way, this will explain some things in your New Testament where, where Mary and Joseph go down to the temple and they, they, they come with Jesus. He's not sinful. They're just obeying what they know from the law. They're, 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 they're obeying what righteousness tells them to and they go and they pay the purchase price for his redemption to the temple. It might also explain when Paul says to the Corinthians, you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Someone stepped forward. Someone paid for you. Someone gave the purchase price for you. And then we learn that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus stands in proxy for everyone. This is why we get all this comparison language in Romans 5. You know, the first Adam did this, but the second Adam did that, and it's so much greater. This proxy stood in our place. Oh, and he sacrificed. Why? Because he's the only clean one of us. He's the only clean one of us. So when we come to the table of the Lord, we remember our redemption. We remember that we were purchased. Remember that, 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 that we belong to God. Now, by the way, let me just say something real quickly. Moms and dads, there's even a lesson in here for us. You, you understand God owns your children? Like not just your firstborn, all of them. And that ought to be wonderfully comforting to you. Because it means I don't have to parent out of fear. It means I don't have to hover over my child and worry all the time. And it means I don't have to wrap them in bubble wrap thinking, hoping they won't get hurt. It means God is a better parent than I am. And God is watching over them, right? And he's watching over grandkids, right? So, so, so here he's saying, they belong to me. And, and I'll, I'll watch over them. That's, so it's a reminder of redemption. But last thing I want you to see, it's an opportunity for instruction. So go to chapter 13 and look at verse 8. Remember what he says here. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Again, go down to verse 14. Your son comes and asks you, what does all this mean? What's all this consecration and unleavened bread and Passover? What does it mean it means, son, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery and then goes on. It's an opportunity for moms and dads to share about their salvation 
with, with children. It's an opportunity for instruction for people who might come today and listen in and go, oh, we get to hear about redemption. We get to hear about what God has done. We get to hear how you've been delivered from the domain of darkness and you've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. You see what's happening here? Here's all these opportunities. This is why Paul's gonna say, when we eat the bread in the Lord's Supper and drink the cup, what are we doing? We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus died and he's coming back for us. And we get to talk about this. The Lord's Supper is this weekly reminder where we get to come back every single week and say, listen to what the Lord has done. Illustrate what the Lord has done. See, here's, here's, here's Israel celebrating their, their rescue from Pharaoh in Egypt. What are we doing? That's in the Passover. What do we do? We're celebrating in the Lord's Supper our rescue from sin, death, hell, the grave. None of that is going to fall on me anymore. I'm out of that because of what Jesus Christ has done. They came and they celebrated the Passover under the blood of the Lamb. We come and celebrate the Lord's Supper under the cross and the resurrection. So what are we doing? We come to the Lord's Supper and we remember this is a community meal. And man, we got to remember this church. This is what binds us together. Not a little grape juice and a horrible tasting wafer. The symbol that we have been rescued. That's what binds us together. It's, a, it's a, an exclusive meal. You shouldn't participate unless you belong to the people of God. It, it's, it's an open invitation, but you can if you'll confess your sin, especially the sin of believing that you could actually make it on your own and please God on your own apart from the death of Jesus Christ. You can't, just like Israel, you can't do it. You need the blood of the lamb over your life. And you believe in that and you're saved. And it's a reminder of our redemption. We are unclean. We have to have a substitute of something clean in our place on our behalf. And that's exactly what we're doing in the Lord's Supper. And it's an opportunity for instruction. Listen to what the Lord has done. He's rescued us. And this is why we're together. Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the ways that you instruct us and teach us. God, it's like you just write stories for us and illustrate them for us and give us pictures so that we don't just know intellectually. We can see what salvation looks like. We can come to the time of the Lord's Supper and remember what it tastes like. And we thank you for it, God, for rescuing us. And Lord, let this be what binds our hearts together, God. When there is a world, there is so much happening in our culture right now that is tearing churches and tearing families and tearing Christians apart. God, we would see what Scripture says that ultimately what binds us together is that we share a meal that celebrates our being rescued by Jesus Christ. Bind our hearts together through the truth of the gospel, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.